keep build up. What does this have to do with Easter? Give me a minute. I'll get there. Okay. Um, as we were preparing to go, um, I learned something about how my wife and I are functionally different. Um, my wife planned everything. And she picked destinations, and she wanted to know what each day would involve. And I said, well, you know, she'd come to me and say, well, let's, do you want to go to the palace? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And all along the way, my response was, well, let's just figure it out when we get there. And, and so we arrived, and she had a plan laid out, like, like all kinds of things she wanted to see, and she got us a driving tour, and we were in the car an awful lot. We, I think for a Hawaiian rental car, they don't charge you by the mile because it doesn't make sense. But we, I think, how many miles did we drive? Like 600 or something crazy like that um, on an island. Um, because we drove and we saw everything there was to see. We went to the cultural center and saw things and went like four times, actually. I think the people knew our names by the end. Um, and, and we did everything that she could fit in. And the whole time, my attitude was, yeah, we'll figure it out. And, and actually, about midway through, I think the third day, I asked, like, we're going to, like, go to a beach, you know, and sit and do nothing at some point? And, well... No, <laughs> because we both have a very different perspective, but with the same destination in mind, with the same objective, we were going to the same place, um, it would have taken some real effort for us both not to end up there, right? I mean, like, like there's a bit of navigating you do up front, but once you get all that stuff nailed down, assuming we catch our plane, and that wasn't an issue this time, right? Um, historically, that sometimes comes up. Uh, but we caught our plane, and the moment you're on the plane, you ain't getting lost, hopefully. I mean, a whole TV series about it, but... Oh, I, I had planned on having my uh, thing up. Uh, Hawaii, I mean, like, and it was beautiful. It, and actually, to this day, when I think about paradise, there's a part of me that thinks about, like, Hawaii, right? About eating crazy food every day and hearing crazy, or not crazy, hearing different music than what I'm used to or, or seeing how different people do things or, or even just going running on the beach and watching the sunrise in the morning or whatever. I mean, like all of these components are paradise in my mind. And I, I, like, it's just indelible now. And as I was getting ready this morning, I was thinking about the destination of eternity. I thought, I should wear my Hawaiian shirt. Uh, and we should talk about, we should talk about Hawaii a little bit. Um, the cool thing about it, we went and we saw, um, we saw a boat, a replica of the ancient ships that they used to get there. And it's crazy because these were sailing ships, and they didn't have compasses, and they didn't have maps, and they didn't have anything for navigating except the sun, the moon, and the stars. And I started thinking about that, and I realized where we are going us, you, me, the person next to you, the person across the way, your next door neighbor, the cousin you don't talk to anymore because they're a little insane. You know the one? Um, that, that's us in case, the case of my in-laws who are here to like, we're the crazy ones. Um, <laughs> but but like, like all of us in Christ are heading there. We're heading to eternity. And everybody else is going to be judged by God in the same way. The resurrection is proof of that. It is the destination of the life we are living. And like 
Like, we might get lost, we might get confused, we might get distracted. I mean, heck, I can hardly, like, my wife will say, well, Eric, will you do this? And on the way to the kitchen to do what she asked me to do from the bedroom upstairs, I'll do five or six different things and I'll come back not having done it because I got distracted. Um, But for us as believers, we can't afford that. And we have a clear objective. I actually wanted some scale here, and I think this is out of scale. Um, you'll notice the Pacific Ocean is really big, right? And I think if they made Hawaii to scale right there in the middle, I couldn't find my laser pointer. I already lost it again. Um, but uh, right in the middle, I think they made it bigger because it is tiny. It is a dot on the map, and it is so easy to miss. And eternity for us, it is like there's a whole life we have to live before we get there. And there are things that distract us, Right? There are things we get mad about or frustrated about. There are things that we, um, when we become hopeless or sad or where our own selfishness or anger at our spouse or our kids or whatever, it distracts us. But Easter, Easter, um, this day we remember that the resurrection, the end of all things is coming. It is a proof, a demonstrable point in history that says this is where your life is going. And everything for us, we're on our way to the we're on our way to the Hawaiian trip, right? We're on our way to the islands. We're actually on our way to stand before God and to enjoy Him forever. But everything in our lives is aiming at that. And before that, people believed in. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But people believed in it. But until they showed up and found the tomb empty, Easter morning, until they stood there and they spoke to angels, like, and the angel said, "Well, hey, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead?" Until that day, it was hope, and they got proof, and that's kind of amazing, right? So let's dive into what we're talking about today. We're, we're doing the resurrection and the hope because Easter is about hope. Easter is about the destination, where we are going, and the life we are like meant to live, and everything in between to like enjoying God for eternity in heaven, and it is awesome. And we may take different routes, but it is the same Jesus the Savior that gets us there. I might be confused and wander. I had like a good period of time where I was really drunk all the time and like, like just soaked in sin and like God called me back and I got lost along the way, but I'm still heading to the same destination. There are folks I know who are amazing and godly and like, I, I feel like I shouldn't even, you know, preach sermons to them because I'm like, uh, you're out of my league. Um, but we're still all heading to the same destination, the same heaven. Um, and so if you're going to fall asleep, right, you're going to fall asleep, here's the main point. The resurrection tells us where we are going. That's it. If Christ is risen, then the dead in Christ will be raised as well, right? Paul said that when they were arguing about whether or not the resurrection happens. There were people in one of the churches, Thessalonica, I believe, and they were saying, well, there's no resurrection. The dead don't come back. That's nonsense. And um, Paul said, look. We know because Christ was raised that we will be too. That day is coming. And so that is our destination. And everything else we've talked about over the last few months is the navigation points. Okay? So let's kind of dive into this. The first key idea we're going to look at is the idea that the resurrection was integral to the Jewish expectations for the Messiah. This isn't something that just happened out of the blue, right? Like the Jews had been talking about the idea that there would be a Messiah, that God was going to send someone to fix everything for them, to set the broken world right. That was what they knew was going to happen, and they expected it. 
Like they were pointing toward it and they talked about it. There was some arguing between the Pharisees and the Sadducees about whether or not it was happened. But most of them believed the Messiah was coming and that there would be a resurrection, a physical bodily resurrection at the end of time when God reset the universe. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he announced it. Dude, he talked about it all the time and nobody got it, which is amazing because they were so busy with their own expectations of God. God is going to do this and God is going to do that. And God is going to come and he's going to beat up our enemies and I'm going to have a nice house and a nice car and all I have to do is plant this seed offering or some other nonsense. Like they had all of these crazy, you know, like vote for me and all your dreams will come true kind of like set of promises. And they didn't understand that what the Messiah was coming for was to die in our place was to carry the sins of his people um, and to be pierced for our transgressions, as Isaiah wrote like 700 years before Jesus was born. And so let's look at a couple of examples of this. So John, this is John 11. Lord, Martha said, I actually read this during the first service. This is when uh, Lazarus died and Jesus was on his way to heal Lazarus and he kind of got distracted and wandered off and everything else. And he knew Lazarus was going to die. And he took his time because Lazarus needed to die. Why? Because this was going to happen. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you have been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I'm going to hit pause here. All of the Jewish people believed in this resurrection, right? And it is not just breathing again and getting out of the grave. I remember when I first became a Christian, like I was 12 or 13 or whatever, and I, I would think about this and I'd be like, well, wait a minute. What about people who are like thrown in the ocean and their bodies are all disintegrated or cremated? Like, does God put them back together like Legos or do they look like zombies or what is this? It is not like that. We're reassembled into a glorified body. But these folks believed this and they believed it for hundreds of years and they were waiting for it. Um, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. We're going to hit pause. So Jesus has announced straight away, I am the resurrection and the life, right? Like you believe that there'll be a resurrection at the end, but you need to understand I am it. And by that, what he's talking about is because of the cross, because Jesus was nailed to the cross, God like took all of my sin and all of your sin and, and like put it on Jesus and saw like me. And he poured his wrath out on Jesus and he took punishment for our sins. And when he looked at Jesus, he saw my sin and he looks at me, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And we traded permanent records, right? Do you ever wish you could do that in school? Like, this is the life we live. We trade places with the most holy and good and righteous person who ever lived. And he takes our punishment and we are forgiven. And when he is resurrected... We are resurrected with him. Paul says that when he was nailed to the cross, died and buried, our old selves were buried with him. And we are resurrected to new life on that, like when he was resurrected. So on Easter, like what comes out of this is the truth that as he says here, I am the resurrection and the life. If I am in him, I am already a new creation. I have not yet died and been resurrected. 
I've not been reformed into a glorified body like will be in heaven. And that's a whole other thing that Paul writes about we're not going to get into today because there's a lot of stuff. Um, but just understand that I am already resurrected, but not yet resurrected. It's confusing. So we're going to go on from there. So Jesus talks about this. The Jews around him believe it. Uh, and we go on in Matthew. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. So here's the crazy thing. When Jesus was actually crucified, they were horrified. And they went into hiding. And they they wept. And they mourned. And they knew it was going to happen. But it's a really big thing to know something is going to happen. And to actually see it. Right? I always think it's interesting, you'll read about, like, uh, in the news every once in a while, people who, like, get a bulletproof vest. And they're like, all right, guys, let's go out in the yard and test it. Right? There ain't nothing in the world that's going to make me test drive a bulletproof vest. Right? I don't want to be shot for any reason. If it works, that's great, but I'll believe in it when I gotta. You get what I'm saying? And I think to some degree they heard him speak But then they saw him stripped naked. They saw him beaten and whipped. And they saw people spit on him and mocked him. And then they saw him hung from a cross and they saw him die. They saw him breathe his last breath. And they thought, well, now I guess that's that. Right? Because it's one thing to believe something. It's another thing where you actually have to believe it. And they didn't. They stumbled and they were like terrified. They said, no way, no way, that can't be true. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. By the way, this is a huge deal. And the reason I'm quoting two, I could quote 20. Jesus over and over again predicted his death and resurrection. And he repeatedly said, hey guys, I'm God, right? Now, We can say anything we want about Jesus. Like if you want to, like whether or not you believe the truth of Christianity, the truth of the scriptures, whether or not God is real, Jesus died and was Jesus was like resurrected. It all hinges on a handful of things. The fact that he was a real man, right? And then like after that, some people say, oh, well, he was just a great teacher or a really popular guy or whatever. Like that doesn't work because really good teachers who are really sane and intelligent don't say things like, if you kill me, I'll come back to life in three days, right? If somebody says to me one day in a conversation, hey, Eric, I'm God. I'm say, oh, hey, you're nuts, right? Like he was either insane, he was a liar, which I don't think really fits for a guy who's like the greatest moral teacher of all times, or he was who he said he was, just based on, based on like, like what we know about what he said and how he taught and everything else. Like, like it is hard to get around that. But he said it over and over again, I will die, I will be raised. And so on this Easter, we understand like this is a thing that was predicted, it was promised, it was said, they believed in it. But when the rubber hit the road, they didn't because it was hard. Um, and then after he was crucified, after he was buried... After the disciples were scattered on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly 
two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Oh, my gosh. He is not here. He is risen. Thank you. Sorry, once a year. Uh, Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. And they remembered his words. And they still didn't believe it. Right? Like the women who saw this, they went and told the disciples. And the disciples were like, oh, you know how it is with women. Right? They didn't believe them. I'll tell you, beyond that, if the story of the cross was, was just fiction, right? Because people say that once in a while. Oh, it's this fictional story that they made up in order to create a religion so they could get rich. If it was made up in this culture at this time, this is officially the worst lie you could tell. Because women were not considered acceptable witnesses. Nowhere in the like land of Israel or amongst the Jewish people were women allowed to testify in court. Because they were considered to be... Not reliable witnesses, right? They're amongst a few people that were never considered to be reliable witnesses. But a first century Jew reading this would be like, yeah, whatever. You know how women are. But these were the first people who saw it. And I think it's amazing, like, like throughout the scriptures we see where God chooses the folks that nobody's going to believe or the folks that are least likely to succeed, the poor, the ignorant, the uneducated, the whatever, and he uses those folks to deliver his message and do his work because it's God's awesomeness that does the work, not our goodness. We're going to go on from there. So the big first idea, this was a Jewish thing. They expected it. They looked for it. This was a thing that he talked about over and over again. It is essentially... The, the resurrection is the linchpin of our faith, too. And so the resurrection is what the Jews believed in. We believe in it, but we believe that Jesus was resurrected and that we will be, too. And it is proof of the claim of the, the Gospels, right? Like everything centers on this idea that it is proof, like that him being risen from the dead like, is the evidence that we need to believe. Like, now, jump on from there. Well, what about, you know... What about us? Where did they use it as evidence? Um, we're going to start with Thomas. Thomas actually did a lot of ministering and a lot of traveling. He did not disappear from the world. None of the 12 disciples, or actually Judas hung himself, so he kind of left the story early. But the rest of the disciples, they traveled and they taught and they spread the church. And like all except for John, John was the only guy that followed Jesus to the cross, right? He was willing to die when Jesus died. Um, he is the only one who died of old age, of natural causes. And he was like 90-something when he did. That was after being boiled in oil once. Boiled in oil. And <laughs> living in prison in a mine. On the, like he mined salt or something on Patmos for years. And eventually they let him go because they're like, yeah, you're too old to be a problem. And all because he wouldn't deny what he saw. All of the disciples did that. Like, all of the disciples were killed horribly, heads cut off, skinned alive in one instance. And I'm telling you, that ain't something I want to have happen. Sawed in half, spears, crucifixion, etc. I mean, like, all of this stuff. And all of them did this stuff swearing, I saw Christ risen. Um, Thomas, we read in the scriptures, like Thomas said, I don't believe it and I won't believe it until he shows up and I get to stick my finger in the hole. 
And he shows up. He's like, hey, Thomas, come here. And all of a sudden, all that big talk like evaporates. You ever talk really big and then it comes down to it and you're like, oh, never mind. That was that guy over there, you know. And that's essentially what happened. Like Thomas believed and then Thomas went on and like evangelized. Paul was the biggest enemy of the church. Paul like jailed and tortured women and children and, and men and like, like persecuted the church and tried to drive it out of existence. And like he went from that place as the biggest persecutor of the church to seeing Jesus, the risen Jesus, right? Like he is the only, the very last appearance of Jesus in the body was Paul on the road to Tarsus or Damascus. Uh, Paul of Tarsus on, on his way to Damascus. Um, he, he saw him risen and he converted. So he went from murderer of Stephen, like created the first martyr. He executed Stephen, like judged over it. Um, and, and like persecutor of the church who like traveled out of his neighborhood. He went places to do it. You know, like, like I'm always impressed when people will travel to Canada to go hunting or like go down to Texas to fish. You know, this guy like traveled five or six days on a donkey to go and beat guys up. To prove, like, because he was Jesus' enemy. And in the end, Paul was converted and was converted and spent, like, 20-some-odd years of his life preaching the gospel. Like, he was beaten and whipped and stoned and hungry and attacked and, and, like, you name it, over and over again, swearing, I saw Jesus risen from the dead. It is evidence of the truth of the claim of Easter. Like, of Christ, like his life, his teachings, everything. It all hinges on the fact that he was risen. And like we see in the lives of the disciples, in the lives of his greatest enemies in the world, um, and ultimately, like the early church leaned on this. When you see them talk about anything, right? Like, sit down and read the epistles, and they start talking about like, oh, well, what should you do in this instance? One of the first things they say is, well, since Jesus is risen, and we're going to live to eternity, and we're on our way to heaven, this is how you should act. And like, oh, well, you don't believe people are risen from the dead? Well, Jesus was. Well, you know, hey, this is happening and it's awful. But remember that this is preparation for, and over and over and over and over again, the church leaned on this doctrine and on the cross and the person of Jesus. Like they pointed at these things and they said, these are the truths that we will make all of our decisions on. And so understand the resurrection was proof of the claims. It was also like, it was the orientation. If I am going to Hawaii, that's where I'm going, right? I might stop at the gas station in Great Falls. I might spend a few weeks wasting time and money instead of packing and planning, um, like my wife did. I, I, like she packed and planned, I wasted. Um, I might get lost along the way. I might get confused. I might, you know, get in the wrong line. I might accidentally walk out of the airport and have to go through security again. Not that that would ever happen either. Um, but I'm going. Going to Hawaii. Not again. But at the time, that's where I was going. That was my destination. And that was where it was all going to end. And I needed to keep my eyes on that goal and not start planning a trip to Mexico. And not say, well, you know... Hawaii is pretty wonderful, but I have stuff to do today, and I'm going to throw that away because it doesn't matter. This is all that matters, because it's foolishness. Finally, the resurrection, Easter, the atonement, which is Good Friday, right? So we have Jesus is raised from the dead. We have the atonement. Jesus died for our sins, was 
like horribly murdered publicly and God like punished him in my place in atonement for my sins. Like I am made clean and new through his death. I am resurrected in a new life by the cross. And then his teachings, his person, who the guy is. These are the three big points. Now watch this. This is interesting. Do you ever watch a, a TV show where like somebody is missing and they're like, oh, well, we're looking for a cell phone. Let's see if we can find it with towers, cell phone towers. How many cell phone towers do they need to, to find anything? Three, right? Like that's that international rule of navigation. You need the three points, right? And the three points that the Christian faith, like in the scriptures, this is not an official doctrine come up with by anyone. This is, this is an Eric observation. But the three points that we organize our faith and our lives around are this. Like the, the atonement, the person of Christ, and the resurrection. And so the atonement makes me a new person. It pays for my sins. It kills the old Eric that does horrible stuff. It, it like wipes out sin. It is the freeing act that Christ did for me. When I look at Christ, I can say, this is what Christ taught. This is who he was. This is how I'm called to live. Right? And so I have my beginning point. I have who I am today and how I'm called to live and what I'm called to do and what I can know about God and how I'm supposed to treat my neighbor and everything else. And then if I ask why, what's the point, I can say, I'm no longer that guy. He's dead. I'm that guy and I'm going to eternity. And so in the crucifixion, in the life, and in the resurrection... Like everything in the Christian life can like hinge on these three things. It can tell you where you are at. Am I in Christ? Have I decided like, oh, well, Christ died for my sins. I will be in him. I will follow him. I will live for him. If I'm not in Christ, I will never find myself. Right? So Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Nobody gets into heaven except through me. Like he did not just say those things. These were truths. Like I get to heaven through Christ. That empty tomb is proof that like he had authority to say those things because a lot of people say a lot of things and a whole lot of people die eventually, right? I mean, that, that eliminates about 100% of the population, really. I mean, the, I mean, I haven't died yet, but I expect it will happen eventually. Um, I'll probably be saying something stupid in front of people. Uh, but the truth is that Jesus made claims. He was killed as he claimed, and then he was resurrected. And hundreds of people literally witnessed it. And those people oftentimes lost their homes and their families swearing it was true. Um, And so that is the proof. And so if I can say, well, where am I in my life? Am I following the person of Christ? Am I imitating him? No, no, I'm not really doing that. And so I'm a little lost. I need to fix this. Am I on my way to eternity? Yes. You know, am I forgetting that's where I'm going and so I'm getting distracted? And there's plenty to get distracted by, right? There's great stuff on TV. There are fun hobbies to have, right? Money is awesome. Have you tried it? Right? I spent, I wasted a bunch of years being drunk like that. You know, like it seemed like a good thing to do at the time. Being angry at your neighbor is fun. Holding a grudge for years, oh my gosh, right? I mean, it really ruins your life and it makes you miserable. It takes a lot of energy and it's all a waste, but it's kind of fun at the time. But in doing these things, I'm getting distracted and forgetting I'm not here for this. I'm heading for eternity. These are the um, 
sort of the point by which we live. We've been talking about discipleship for the last few months, like through Lent and all that. And like ultimately this is where we're going, is this idea that everything hinges on this. Finally, the resurrection, like the, the truth of the empty tomb, like, like that Easter morning when the women came and they found the empty tomb, and John, and it's funny to me that John is the only gospel that records this, but John and Peter ran to the tomb and John outran him. And like, then he's the only one who mentioned, oh yeah, I outran Peter on the way to the tomb. Um, like, like that, I mean, they, they stood there, they saw this empty place. John wrote about this probably about the time he was in prison. Like, like all of these things are, are solidly set, like, and they are, like this resurrection, it is a reassurance of our future hope and is the destination for our life in Christ. What does that mean? Well, look at Romans 8, which I think Jeremy might have read during the first service. Did you, Jeremy? He's not even in here. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So that first point, right? I'm in Christ or I'm not. He has atoned for me. I am made new or it is not. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, read that again, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, if Christ died for you, if you are in Christ, if Christ was raised, then you also will be raised. Like, like you cannot escape this truth. Um, I actually quoted the first Thessalonian verse. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, he is talking about uh, uh, a member who had died. Well, I guess I will read it real quick. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So you do not grieve like man, the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you we are who are still alive. The, uh, excuse me, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. I'm going to get into the whole meaning of that last part. But what he's saying is, listen, guys, I know you're hurting. I know you're sad. I know that this member of the church has died or other believers have been been killed or you've experienced loss or hurt or whatever, but we're not like the world. They mourn because they don't believe there's anything else. Right? Um, in the ancient world, I think this is interesting. I talked about this a little bit in the first service. I've been reading ancient philosophy recently for fun. Um, and there were a handful of schools. There was the majority of ancient like thought that believed when you died... You lived in an empty, gloomy wasteland of the underworld. It was not a very inviting place, right? There were guys like the, the, uh, um, the, ah, forget, I can't remember their names. Anyway, they believed that their whole deal was to control their emotions and everything else and that they would die one day, but that didn't matter because death was unavoidable and you'll just die and that'll be it. And so do what you can do now. Be righteous and good now. Because your death is unavoidable. You can't 
do anything after that. Nothing's better after that. There's no point. So just do what you have now. Gosh, that's awful. Right? Isn't it? I mean, like, be as good as you can because, like, you'll die and then that's that. Um, another group was the hedonists, and they believed eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Right? Because they had no hope in eternity. Christianity is the only of the ancient religions that promises something better, that promises we can know God, where, like, the early like guys who spread it literally were able to say, I knew God, he was over there. It was that guy. You know, Zeus, nobody met that guy. Nobody met him. Nobody met Achilles, probably. Um, Jesus was a real man. And they knew him. And they said, look, we knew him. We saw him. He was resurrected. And we will be resurrected too. And so if they said, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, like the church said, hey, he is risen. The hope we have in this life. First off, for our own deaths. Secondly, for those of us who have lost or seen death. You know, for those of us who suffer and like have ailment or, or you know, are beginning to fall apart because we're getting old like me. And like, like those of us who are in this place, we have hope in the resurrection. Finally, we're going to do... Oh, I got two more. Sorry. This is First Peter 2. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, once upon a time, we were foreigners and we were unknown to God. Um, we had never been there. We never spoke. We don't speak the language. We had no passport. We weren't even invited. There was no plane to get us there, like eternity with Christ in heaven. Like that was not a thing. But those of us who are in Christ, we are adopted into his family. We have become citizens of another world, another kingdom. And that is where we are heading. That is our hope in this life. And finally, last one, this is Hebrews. All these people. So he goes through all of these people who, from the Old Testament who believed in God's promise of a savior. And he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What's he saying? He's saying those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are followers of Jesus, even those who didn't even meet him but believed in him before he was born, they were adopted into his kingdom and they were welcomed. They were always looking forward to home. And they were always going back there. And so they made their decisions. They oriented their lives. They navigated through by the truths that, like, would ultimately get them there. They didn't stop and say, oh, well, this is home. Here we are. I would have loved to have stopped in Hawaii and done nothing. I think about that sometimes. We met a guy who was working at some place we we visited. He was an unemployed actor, I think, at the time. 
and he lived on a beach homeless in Hawaii for several years. And he got a job as a homeless person because it's pretty common to get jobs as homeless people there. They don't need to have an address that are like, oh, yeah, we'll mail it to ourselves. We know you live on the beach across the street. That's awesome. I would have loved to have stopped in Hawaii and stayed. Right? Who was thinking about that this morning? I was. The clean snow off the car. Oh, my gosh. The truth is, I don't live there. This is my home. And even this isn't my home. I'm just staying here until I return home to be with Christ. And the truth is, the resurrection is all about that future we have. That place we are going. That life we were meant to live Um, So how do we apply this? First of all, this is a thing that is free. I cannot emphasize this enough. There are people who are like, well, I can't be a Christian because I don't want to be good or because my language is awful or because uh, you don't know what I've done. I remember I talked to a, a, you you all have heard this story 8 million times now. Um, Years ago, I was talking with a young lady who was a uh, recovering addict and and we were talking about her history in recovery before she had like started getting clean. And she said, Eric, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the life I've lived. You don't know how filthy and shameful I am. God will never love me. And the truth is, that's not true. The gift that we get on the cross and in the resurrection is free. It is the thing that is bestowed on us. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to be good enough. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary in the first place. It is free. And you don't have to be perfect once you're there. And in fact, a lot of people pretend they're perfect. I did that for a long time. They pretend they're perfect and say, oh, I never sin. But in reality, the more I acknowledge, hey, I sin. Hey, I I lost my temper getting ready for church this morning. I yelled at my kids. And I left and I started looking at the text that I had prepared to speak about. And I'm like, what does this say about how I was acting this morning? Well, I sure as heck was not looking at eternity He sure as heck was not looking at righteousness in Christ, that old Eric is dead, new Eric is alive. I didn't think about any of that stuff. I was mad and I wanted to do my thing right now. I forgot about where I'm going. I forgot about where my kids are going. And all I wanted to do was get the house clean because our in-laws were visiting. And you know what? It's going to be messy before they leave. It doesn't matter. But when we lose sight... Like, like the ability to admit that I sin, the ability to admit and talk about it. The fact of the matter is, I'm only good because Christ is in me. I only say clever things sometimes because Christ, like his spirit is in me and, you know, has, has made me more wise than I should be because I'm not wise. I figure if he made Balaam's donkey talk and give truth, he could surely maybe talk through me. Um, and so, like, this is a free gift we receive. We're just called to follow him. Like, if I were dead and in a grave, or like buried in a grave and laying in the grave and I woke up, I sure as heck wouldn't stay there. If I found myself on a morgue slab, you ever see that on TV? You know, where people wake up in the morgue and they're like, holy mess, how did I get here? I'm like, well, the coroner was wrong. You know, you're not dead, or you're just mostly dead. Um, if I wake up in a morgue, depending on what day of the week it is, no, pretty much any day of the week, I mean, mon- you know, anyway, I'm getting up and leaving. I ain't staying there. And so the gift of life in Christ is free. And all we got to do after that is get up off the slab and follow him. So the atonement, the resurrection, and the life and teachings of Christ, these are our guides. This is what we base everything on. And so then we 
like in our lives when we make decisions, we make our decisions based on that. I have a line from C.S. Lewis here that is just, I've quoted it quite a few times because I love it so much. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature. If you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in nightmares. And pause there. What he's saying is, listen, we live in a world where everything around us is going to go away, but the people will live forever. And that jerk, that filthy guy, that homeless person, that crazy person, all of those people are going to live forever. And if they are in Christ, when they encounter like their death, they will come back as creatures so glorified and beautiful and awesome, we'll be tempted to worship them. And if they rebel and die in their sins, which is a horror, like they will be a horror to behold such as we would only meet in nightmares. And that's the reality of the future. And so we live now seeing people and thinking, well, that guy's dumb. I don't want to talk to him. Or that guy's a Democrat or a Republican. And what a big jerk. What a horrible person. I hate that guy. Um, And all of that. But all of that stuff is right now, not forever. And the truth is that forever is our guide. It is our destination. It is our guide point. And so when I look at the guy from the other political party, when I look at the guy who has sinned against me or gossiped against me or whatever, I have to look at him and say, That guy is going to live forever. How is he going to live? And how do I respond to him based on the fact that I'm going to live forever and I'm going to look back at this moment forever? All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of those destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another all our friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. Say that again, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never met or talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. The resurrection, the truth of the resurrection, it has to be a guide point where we make decisions. So when I look at the other guy and I say, I'm going to curse you now or I'm going to mistreat you, the truth is that's now thinking, not eternal thinking. I represent Jesus. I don't live here. This point says I'm new this point tells me how to live and that point says where we're all going and I have to act accordingly I can't detour I can't get lost I can't get confused that's what Easter is about is our final navigation point It is where we are going Um, and because we are resurrected in Christ we are dead to our old lives um, and like we are called to live in Jesus we're dead to sin and we're called to bear fruit in harmony or in keeping with salvation meaning what do I do with my life well I get ready fact of the matter is when I went to Hawaii our trip was better because my wife planned I said it out loud I'll never say it out loud again one day when I stand before God I will know him better and more intimately and I will show up with a crowd of friends based on how I live today and how I invest in him and how I grow. I'm not going to be any more saved than I am now, but I will take people with me or I won't. 
I will have sin that I'll carry in the door. I will not know him very well when I get there, or I will know him intimately. And everything on the journey is that. And so my challenge for you this Sunday, we're actually doing communion, I know, but I, yeah. Um, As we remember, as we do this thing that Christ commanded us to do, my challenge for you today is you take the body and the blood as you take the elements and you remember, like, Christ died for me. My challenge for you is to look at your life.